0: Chapter 35 of Fraternity by John Galsworthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 35. A Young Girl's Mind A young girl's mind is like a wood in spring, now a rising mist of bluebells and flakes of dappled sunlight, now a world of still wan and tender saplings weeping they know not why. Through the curling twigs of boughs just green, its wings fly towards the stars, but the next moment they have drooped to mope beneath the damp bushes. It is ever yearning for and trembling of the future. In its secret places all the countless shapes of things that are to be are taking stealthy counsel of how to grow up without letting their gown of mystery fall. They rustle, whisper, shriek suddenly and as suddenly fall into a delicious silence. From the first hazel bush to the last may tree, it is an unending meeting place of young, solemn things, eager to find out what they are, eager to rush forth to greet the kisses of the wind and sun, and forever trembling back and hiding their faces. The spirit of that wood seems to lie with her ear close to the ground, a pale petal of a hand curved like a shell behind it, listening for the whisper of her own life. There she lies, white and supple, with dewy, wistful eyes, sighing, What is my meaning? Ah, I am everything. Is there in all the world a thing so wonderful as I? Oh, I am nothing. My wings are heavy. I faint. I die. When time, attended by the grey girl, emerged from the abyss at the top, her cheeks were flushed and her hands clenched. She said nothing. The grey girl too was silent, with a look such as a spirit divested within its body by long bathing in the river of reality might bend on one who has just come to dip her head. Time's quick eyes saw that look, and her colour deepened. She saw too the glance of the Jewish youth when Martin joined them in the doorway. Two girls now, he seemed to say. He goes in, this young man. Supper was laid in her new friend's room. Pressed beef, potato salad, stewed prunes and ginger ale. Martin and the grey girl talked. Time ate in silence, but though her eyes seemed fastened on her plate, she saw every glance that passed between them, heard every word they said. Those glances were not remarkable, nor were those words particularly important, but they were spoken in tones that seemed important to time. He never talks to me like that, she thought. When supper was over, they went out into the streets to walk. But at the door, the grey girl gave Time's arm a squeeze, her cheek a swift kiss, and turned back up the stairs. Aren't you coming? shouted Martin. Her voice was heard, answering from above. No, not tonight. With the back of her hand, Time rubbed off the kiss. The two cousins walked out amongst the traffic. The evening was very warm and close, no breeze fanned the reeking town. Speaking little, they wandered among endless darkening streets, whence to return to the light and traffic over the Euston Road seemed like coming back to heaven. At last, close again to her new home, Time said, Why should one bother? It's all a horrible great machine trying to blot us out. People are like insects when you put your thumb on them and smear them on a book. I, I hate, I loathe it. They might as well be healthy insects while they last," answered Martin. Time faced round at him. "I shan't sleep tonight, Martin. Get out my bicycle for me." Martin scrutinised her by the light of the street lamp. "All right," he said. "I'll come too." There are, say moralists, roads that lead to hell, but it was on a road that leads to Hampstead that the two young cyclists set forth towards eleven o'clock. The difference between the character of the two destinations was soon apparent, for whereas man taken in bulk had perhaps made hell, Hampstead had obviously been made by the upper classes. There were trees and gardens, and instead of dark canals of sky banked by the roofs of houses and hazed with the yellow scum of London lights, the heavens spread out in a wide, trembling pool. From that rampart of the town, the Spaniard's Road, Two plains lay exposed to left and right. The scent of May tree blossom had stolen up the hill. The rising moon clung to a fir tree bough. Over the country the far stars presided, and sleep's dark wings were spread above the fields. Silent, scarce breathing, lay the body of the land. But to the south where the town, that restless head, was lying, the stars seemed to have fallen was sown in the thousand furrows of its great grey marsh. And from the dark miasma of those streets there travelled up a rustle, a whisper, a far allurement of some deathless dancer, dragging men to watch the swirl of her black spangled drapery, the gleam of her writhing limbs. Like the son of the sea in a shell was the murmur of that witch of motion, clasping to her the souls of men, drawing them down into a soul whom none had ever known to rest. Above the two young cousins, scudding along that ridge between the country and the town, three thin white clouds trailed slowly towards the west, like tired seabirds drifting exhausted far out from land on a sea blue to blackness with unfathomable depth. For an hour, those two rode silently into the country. Have we come far enough? Martin said at last. Time shook her head. A long, steep hill beyond a little sleeping village had brought them to a standstill. Across the shadowy fields, a pale sheet of water leaned out in moonlight. Time turned down towards it. I'm hot," she said. "I want to bathe my face. Stay here. Don't come with me." She left her bicycle, and passing through a gate, vanished among the trees. Martin stayed leaning against the gate. The village clock struck one. The distant call of a hunting owl, squeak, squeak, sounded through the grave stillness of this last night of May. The moon at her curved summit floated at peace on the blue surfaces of the sky, a great closed water lily. And Martin saw through the trees scimitar-shaped reeds clustering black along the pool's shore. All about in the May flowers were alight. It was such a night as make dreams real and turns reality to dreams. All moonlit nonsense, thought the young man, for well, the night disturbed his heart. But time did not come back. He called to her, and in the deathlike silence following his shouts he could hear his own heart beat. He passed in through the gate. She was nowhere to be seen. Why was she playing him this trick? he turned up from the water among the trees where the incense of the Mayflowers hung heavy in the air. Never look for a thing, he thought, and stopped to listen. It was so breathless that the leaves of a low bough against his cheek did not stir while he stood there. Presently he heard faint sounds and stole towards them. Under a beech tree he almost stumbled over time, lying with her face pressed to the ground. The young doctor's heart gave a sickening leap. He quickly knelt down beside her. The girl's body pressed close to the dry beach mat, was being shaken by long sobs. From head to foot it quivered. Her hat had been torn off, and the fragrance of her hair mingled with the fragrance of the night. In Martin's heart, something seemed to turn over and over, as, when a boy, he had watched a rabbit caught in a snare. He touched her. She sat up, and, dashing her hand across her eyes, cried, "'Go away! Oh, go away!' He put his arm round her and waited. Five minutes passed. The air was trembling with a sort of pale vibration, for the moonlight had found a hole in the dark foliage and flooded onto the ground beside them, whitening the black beech husks. Some tiny bird, disturbed by these unwanted felicitors, began chirping and fluttering, but was soon still again. To Martin, so strangely close to this young creature in the night, there came a sense of utter disturbance. Poor little thing, he thought. Be careful of her, comfort her. Hardness seemed so broken out of her, and the night so wonderful. And there came into the young man's heart a throb of the knowledge, very rare with him, for he was not like Hilary, a philosophising person, that she was as real as himself, suffering, hoping, feeling, not his hopes and feelings, but her own. His fingers kept pressing her shoulder through her thin blouse, and the touch of those fingers was worth more than any words, as this night, all moonlit dreams, was worth more than a thousand nights of sane reality. Time twisted herself away from him at last. I can't, she sobbed. I'm not what you thought me. I'm not made for it. A scornful little smile curled Martin's lip. So that was it. But the smile soon died away. One did not hit what was already down. Time's voice wailed through the silence. I, I thought I could. But I want beautiful things. I can't bear it all grey and horrible. I'm not like that girl. I- I- I'm an amateur. If I kissed her, Martin thought, she sank down again, burying her face in the dark beach mat. The moonlight had passed on. Her voice came, faint and stiff, as out of the tomb of faith. I am no good. I never shall be. I am as bad as mother. But to Martin there was only the scent of her hair. No, murmured Time's voice. I am only fit for miserable art. I am only fit for Nothing. They were so close together on the dark beach bat that their bodies touched, and a longing to clasp her in his arms came over him. I'm a selfish beast, moaned the smothered voice. I don't really care for all these people. I only care because they're ugly for me to see. Martin reached his hand out to her hair. If she had shrunk away, he would have seized her. But as though by instinct she let it rest there, and at her sudden stillness, strange and touching, Martin's quick passion left him. He slipped his arm round her and raised her up as if she had been a child, and for a long time sat listening with a queer, twisted smile to the moanings of her lost illusions. The dawn found them still sitting there against the bowl of the beech tree. Her lips were parted. The tears had dried on her sleeping face, pillowed against his shoulder, while he still watched her sideways with the ghost of that twisted smile. And beyond the grey water, like some tired wanton, the moon in an orange hood was stealing down to her rest between the trees. End of chapter thirty-five